The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm all alone this week. I am recording this episode uh, all by myself to quote the immortal comedians Chijin Chong, Dave's not here, man. But don't blame Dave. Don't don't write angry angry angry. Don't write angry tweets to Dave. Don't write him angry emails. This is not his fault. It's entirely on me. Here's the thing. Um I'm going to San Diego this weekend to do some stuff for the book and I had to get this recording out this week so that we could get it out uh, for Sunday. And, you know, Dave's Dave's got to work. Dave's busy. And so I couldn't get him in here for the week because he's normally in here for the weekend. So all my fault, you know, blame me, you know, bring it all on me. Dave is awesome. The man can do no wrong. I love the guy. Um, I'm actually pretty excited for the San Diego trip to be completely selfish. Uh while we're there, uh, the wife and I, uh, we're after we do some stuff for the book, we're going up to Temecula to see a K-pop artist named Huang Chilio. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. It's my wife's favorite singer, Huang Chilio, I believe. <laughs> uh, he's on. He was on the China's equivalent of American Idol. I don't know, it's called like I Am a Singer. But uh, my wife loves this dude. Uh, he's and you know I can. Though I do not understand the language in which the songs he sings are sung, I can certainly appreciate good music when I hear it. And he's a great artist, and as are many of the K-pop artists. You know, K-pop's pretty great right now. Um, but and so we're gonna go see this concert together, and she's so excited because she's always wanted to hear this guy perform. And obviously, when you live in Miami, and when you just live in the United States in general, particularly Miami, you don't get to hear too many. Asian artists. And so we're getting to see one. We have to go to San Diego to do it. Um, but, you know, since we're doing stuff for the book anyway, it all worked out perfectly. Uh, but yeah, he sings in two languages, and I don't know either language, uh, Korean and Mandarin Chinese. But I, I feel like I'm going to appreciate it anyway. Um, and I'm excited for that. So that's that's going on for me this weekend, heading to San Diego. So if you're in the San Diego area, come on and say hi to me. I'd love to meet you. We've We've had a couple San Diego people on the show a long time ago. Mike Wanyak, uh, he was on the show. He was a great guest, uh, San Diego guy. So big up to San Diego, heading your way this weekend. We got a lot of great, cool stuff to get to this week. I am stoked for this episode. You have picked a great episode to download. We got so much cool stuff. Uh, it's going to oh, it's gonna be tremendous. I am excited on your behalf for how cool this episode is going to be. Um, but let me get through some housekeeping here first. I just want to thank all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being so interested in this podcast and for hanging with us for, it's been almost a year now. We're growing more and more each week. I'm so grateful. I can't believe what this podcast is becoming. Uh, I think our first episode that we ever did, you know, I think it had you know eight downloads the first week. Most of them were people that happened to have my last name. But I was perfectly okay with that because, you know, I just like hearing the sound of my own voice and that was good enough for me. But since then, the numbers have just gone up and up. And particularly in the last couple months, I don't know 
you know, if it's in something in the uh, the drinking water over here in, in America, where just people are just super into podcasting, want to hear about indie music, maybe people like the pop culture stuff we do. But for whatever reason, you guys have been so awesome downloading this podcast, and I very much appreciate it. Uh, so let's keep it going, huh? I want to keep doing this. I love this podcast. It's the best part of my week. It's the best part of Dave's week. And we just want to keep doing it and doing it. And so to help make that happen, we need your support. So uh, the best way to kind of help our podcast out, we talk about this each week, is you go to iTunes, go to SoundCloud. Those are the two places where you can find our podcast, other than, of course, BreakTheBusiness.com. You rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on those platforms. Throw us some ratings. Throw us some positive reviews. Let people know you love the podcast. Uh, particularly on iTunes, we want to move up that iTunes algorithm and subscribe to us. And that way, every time a new episode comes up, new episodes every Sunday, the episode comes right to you. You get credit. We get credit for the download. You don't have to find our podcast and wonder when it's coming up because it's going to get there as soon as we're done posting it. So please do that for us. We'd love it very much. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K-A-I-R. I love talking on Twitter. You follow me, I'll follow you back. I'm that kind of swell guy. And follow Dave on Twitter as well. He is a sneakily good Twitterer. He's super funny. And I kind of want to get him some followers, if for no other reason that it's going to get him tweeting more funny stuff. He's definitely the funnier half of our bunch uh, between the two of us. And so uh, we want to get more funny out of Dave, so throw him some followers. You can like us on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com, search Break the Business, and send us some emails, too. We got this email address, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. If you send us emails, uh, we can talk about them on the air. You know, I sort of have an idea of what I think you guys want to hear on this podcast. I, I monitor the internet, monitor HypeBot and Bandzoogle and... Uh, DIY Musician blog and Sonic Bids blog and all these different blogs to you know, find out what I think is going on in the music industry and particularly with DIY artists and indie music. But And I'll talk about that stuff on the show and I talk about some of my own topics as well. But really what I want to talk about is what matters to you guys. So if there's something going on in the indie music world, if if you have a question as an indie artist on how to move your career forward, whatever it is, Email us, breakthebusiness.com, and we'll talk about that. If you have a question for either me or Dave, uh, we'll answer it on the show. If you just want us to talk about something pop culture because as you know from listening to our podcast, we're all about the pop culture around here. Uh, we know that you know just talking about indie music and entertainment law all day gets really dry. So we, we try to sprinkle in some great pop culture talk. We love talking about sports. We love talking about Star Wars and Star Trek and Marvel movies and DC movies. And you know, granted, Dave likes talking about that stuff more than I do. And sometimes he gets in the weeds and I kind of lose attention and everything. But we love pop culture. And so if there is a pop culture topic that you'd like for us to talk about, bring it up. We'd love to talk about it on the show. Um, so that's where you go for that. Break the business at gmail.com. And finally, the best thing you can do for our show, if you really want to support us, it sounds crazy, but it works. Tell a friend about the show. You know, share us on your social media platforms. Let people know you love what we're doing. And just tell uh, if you have an indie artist in your life, a content creator in your life, some music person in your life, or just somebody who loves pop culture. Let them know about us and see if we can kind of get a nice little chain going where people want to you know, 
sort of a podcasting pyramid scheme and you know let, let people know about what we're doing. We'd very much appreciate that. This is our 49th episode. Can you believe it? We've been doing this for almost a year, and we got the big 50 coming up, 50 episodes. I got to be real with you. I did not think we'd make it this far, but here we are, and... I kind of want to do something cool for it. I want to have, you know, 50's a nice big round number. I kind of want to do something worthy of the 50th episode, but honest to God, we don't know what to do. And, you know, we're kicking around some ideas. You should see the text chain between me and Dave. It's a whole lot of very bad ideas. I'll, I'll sort of put Dave on blast here. Dave wants me to do a whole lot of stuff with John, the John Ratzenberger impression that he does. And I think given his druthers, like he'd want the 50th episode to be nothing but him talking as John Ratzenberger. And now kind of even as I say that, that sounds really awesome and funny. But no, we got we to gotta think of other stuff too. So, you know, we're going to think about something cool for the 50th episode. Make it really great for something that fits this awesome occasion that we've been doing this for pretty much a year. And uh, we're kind of excited for that. And it's been kind of a cool week for me. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of let you in on how I'm feeling. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited to go to San Diego, check out this K-pop artist with my wife. It's going to make her super happy, which makes me super happy. But it's been a cool week for me professionally as well. I got my first article published in Hypebot this week. Um, this is so cool for me because Hypebot is my favorite indie music, new music industry website. I read it religiously every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, and just... And so the fact that I look at Hypebot and I see my name in that Hypebot font and I see that article, it blew my mind this week. I, I, you know, I never thought this would happen. It's, it, I'm, I'm just so stoked. So the article, you can check it out in Hypebot now, Hypebot.com. It's entitled, The Kesha Dr. Luke Lawsuit Exemplifies Everything That Is Wrong About the Music Industry. We've talked a lot about the Kesha Dr. Luke saga on this podcast. And last week we reported that she dropped the lawsuit against him. Um, you know, a lot of, for a lot of people, it was unexpected. They thought she would pursue these claims to the end. But for many of us in the industry, we know that she kind of didn't have a choice. Uh, she was stuck in this exclusive recording agreement. It didn't look like there was any way out with this litigation. It was going to drag on for what could have been years. And so basically she had to decide between, do I create with this person who may allegedly is abusing me or do I just not create at all? Because that's the other option if she continued the litigation, and she begrudgingly chose creation. And it was a, a Hobson's choice. It was a tough, difficult decision, and there was no easy, good answer. She chose the lesser of two evils, which was to continue working. And I felt compelled to write an article about this, because as you know, we talk about this case a lot on this podcast, because I talk a lot about why record agreements and exclusive recording agreements are dangerous. And Ultimately, that's what this Kesha Dr. Luke saga comes down to, is what she had to endure was very much the product of the fact that she was stuck in an exclusive recording agreement, and it created a, you know, and it did not allow her to leave what was becoming an increasingly toxic relationship. And frankly, this case has been studied from a lot of angles. Uh, This case has attracted a ton of social media attention. You know, the free Kesha hashtag is everywhere. People are always talking about this case and continue to talk about this case. And one angle in which I wish this case was talked about more, and it's just not, is this exclusive recording agreement that Kesha was stuck in. And the idea that whether or not you agree 
whether or not you actually think Kesha's claims are true, whether or not you actually believe the abuse claims that she made in her lawsuit, you can't argue with the fact that they must have had some kind of toxic relationship, that something was going on that made this a dysfunctional relationship. And what was compounding the problem is because of the way the agreement was structured, it was an exclusive recording agreement like many record deals are, like many production deals are. She could not leave that toxic relationship and eventually it just became worse and worse and they got and they were stuck together because there was no way out of the agreement um, until it eventually became this lawsuit. And if they had any other kind of business relationship, a non-exclusive agreement, a employer-employee relationship, some other kind of relationship, she could have gotten out of this before it became what this lawsuit was. But instead, she was stuck in this exclusive recording agreement, this staple of the music industry that... You know, so many agree- artists are under this agreement, and it can be dangerous. And this case exemplifies the dangers that can come from this agreement. And so what my article concludes, and I'll, I'll talk about that article a little more in this segment, is we need to get these agreements out of the music industry because they are a tool for abusing artists. And they are an instrument for exploitation, for controlling content creators in a way that is completely unacceptable and highly immoral, and sometimes even illegal. <laughs> and so that's kind of what we I'm doing here with this HypeBot article, and I definitely encourage you to read it. Uh, you go to HypeBot.com, and I kind of want, my goal is for as much as the free Kesha movement has made this case a referendum on Dr. Luke, and they continue to, uh, you know, come after Dr. Luke on Twitter, I I hope that those in this movement can save some of their anger for the exclusive recording agreement in general and identify that it was an instrument for abuse and that the industry would be better off if it didn't exist. And of course, that's what we talk about a lot in the Break the Business book and a book that for its first third advises indie artists to not sign exclusive recording agreements, to stay away from record deals because they can be so abusive to artists. So anyway, I'm going to read from that article a little later in the segment because I'm, I'm really happy that it's in HypeBot. Like, I'm so stoked I'm on Cloud9. And I would encourage you to check it out at HypeBot.com as well. Again, it's called The Kesha Dr. Luke Lawsuit Exemplifies Everything That Is Wrong With The Music Industry. But before I do any of that, let me share with you the guests we have on this week's episode. That's right, I said it, guests, plural. I, we felt bad last week, Dave and I, that we didn't have any guests for you last week. The way the scheduling worked, uh, we didn't have any guests, and, you know, it's a bummer. I love having the guests on. I mean, Dave and I, believe me, Dave and I would always love an opportunity to talk more, <laughs> but you know, the guests are great. They, they bring in a nice outsider perspective, and you like hearing from these outsider people, and we were just bummed that we didn't bring you a guest. And so this time we want to even it out. So you didn't get a guest last week. We want to give you two guests this week. And oh my God, did we bring it with the guests. These are fantastic guests. Both of them, tremendous voices in the music industry. You're going to love hearing from both of them. First guest we got coming up right after the break. Brace yourself. Take a deep breath. Jack Conte. The Jack Conte. He's one half of the fantastic indie music duo Pomplamoose. Oh, you got to know who these guys are if you don't. Go look them up. Great videos. Natalie, Don, Jack, Conte. They're such awesome videos. But many of you also know him as the CEO and co-founder of Patreon. Patreon, uh, crowdfunding platform. So it's crowdfunding. It's like Kickstarter. It's like Pledge Music, but it's different. 
It's different because unlike Kickstarter and Pledge Music, which only allows creators to fund one large project at a time. Hey, I'm making an album. Give me some money to make this album. Album gets made. Patreon allows for recurring, ongoing crowdfunding for creators. So instead of trying to get a ton of money from people to make one giant thing like an album, this is more like, hey, give me a couple bucks for every YouTube video I make, for every small project. And so it's ongoing uh, create ongoing funding for creation. And uh, Jack Conte, in fact, even uses his own platform for his work with Pomplamoose. He, he uses Patreon to fund their videos, encourages fans to give as little as $1 for every YouTube video they make. And for those who contribute, you get rewards like merchandise, access to secret events, even opportunities to meet with the creators and talk to them. It's, it's a cool platform. Many artists we've had on this podcast, um, including the droids, one of our favorite guests, use Patreon, and it helps them further their livelihoods. Look, crowdfunding is a critical pillar of the DIY music's uh, DIY musicians' operation. You need to crowdfund. It's it's the future of the industry. Um, I I feel pretty solid in saying that because for many artists, uh, creating music, promoting music, distributing music. It's cheaper than it's ever been. In fact, in many cases, the cost is zero. And that's huge because 20 years ago, creating music, promoting music, distributing music cost a fortune. And it's, uh, and, and, and it, it's, it's tough. And, but sometimes things still cost money. And when you're early in your career and you, haven't, and you don't got any money in your bank account yet, it can be really hard to fund whatever that first project is, whatever those early projects are. And so crowdfunding can help fill in that gap and can give you a steady income stream to help you fulfill your creative ambitions. And Patreon is a big part of that. And so, you know, I, I, it was great to talk to Jack about those things. And I got to say, in the interview, which I already recorded, so I know what he says already, nah, 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 nah. Uh, I asked him kind of a big question, and I was really happy with his answer. I asked him, where do you see your platform going? As record sales and other revenue streams continue to dwindle for artists, I asked Jack, do you see Patreon as becoming the principal means for how indie content creators make their living, or do you see Patreon as more of just one small piece of a larger income pie for most artists? And I gotta say, when I asked that question, I was 99% sure of what his answer was going to be. I thought for sure he was going to say the latter. And one of the reasons why I was I thought he was going to say the latter is that the guests I have on this show tend to be humble people. They tend to they tend to give the humble answer. They you know, and so I was expecting him to say, "Oh, you know, Patreon, it's a it's an important tool, but you know, there's going to be many different ways. It's it's it it's going to play a role in helping artists fund their careers, but you know, we don't think we're going to be the be all and end all." And he didn't give the modest answer. In fact, his answer was awesome. It was really powerful. And I don't want to get into the specifics of his answer because his answer is amazing and I kind of want to tease it. So stick around to the next segment, hear his incredible answer to that question. It's going to blow your mind and also stick around because he's going to give you a lot of great tips on how to succeed on Patreon, how to kick ass on this platform. And, you know, many of you content creators out there, you're probably using Patreon. You're probably considering using Patreon. And if you want to know how to use it well, how about getting some tips right from the source, right from the guy who helped build the thing? So it's a must-listen interview. If you're a content creator or you know somebody who is, 
Give this a listen. Give this to other people so that they can listen. It's going to be cool. So that's Jack Conte. He's coming up. And after Jack uh, dazzles us with his entrepreneurial awesomeness, in the third segment, we got our second guest, Kosha Dills. This guy is this guy's so awesome. He's a DIY artist, a hip-hop MC, and he was a great guest. So Jack Conte's given you the crowdfunding side of this, but I love having indie artists on the show who just can give you who who are successful and can show you the way. And that's what Kosha Dills is gonna do for you. He's a great guest. Um, you wanna hear from Kosha Dills, he's gonna inspire you. In case you don't know this guy, you can check him out. He's a great performer, but more than anything, the dude is a great hustler. Dude freaking hustles. He never stops creating, never stops selling, never stops moving forward. Dude is committed. It's inspiring. And because of that hustling, he was able to get a really impressive career achievement earlier this month. So earlier this month, uh, he actually wrote about this achievement in Hypebot last week. He wrote an article called Kosha Dill's Hits six Billboard charts, 100% indie, 100% DIY. The title says it all. So his latest album, entitled What I Do All Day and Pickle, yeah, that's what it is, What I Do All Day and Pickle, got into six Billboard charts, including the best rap album charts. So dude charted, and he charted on these six charts without any major label backing, without any label backing, and he did it without having any formal management. Dude's Dude ran his operation, didn't have any sort of major label getting it done for him. Like, he, he was in charge of his own destiny, and he just owned the Billboard charts uh, earlier this month. And you're probably wondering how he was able to move those kinds of units. Well, the answer is simple. He hustled. Dude friggin' hustled. But if you want the specifics, and I imagine you do, uh, if you're an indie artist, you're going to want to take some notes on how this guy did it. You want to listen to the interview with him later in the show. We're going to break down that release and talk about all the things he did to get huge sales and to get himself on the Billboard charts all on his own. It's really inspiring. It's really informative. Check it out. So all of that's coming up after the break. We got uh, Jack Conte coming up in the second segment. He's going to talk about Patreon. He's going to talk about his work with Pomplamoose. Uh, he's going to give the great answer to that question about whether he thinks Patreon is going to be a uh, or at least ongoing crowdfunding platforms are going to be a way that many artists are going to make their living going forward. So that I'm telling you that answer is a great answer. I can't overhype it enough. And then the next segment we got Kosha Dills, dude dominated the Billboard charts, uh, completely on his own, 100% indie, 100% DIY. We're going to talk to him in the third segment. Um, so stick around for all of that. But first, as promised. Let me read from my HypeBot article entitled, The Kesha Dr. Luke Lawsuit Exemplifies Everything That's Wrong With The Music Industry. Again, you can check this out at HypeBot.com. And quick favor, it would mean a lot to me. I'm, it just means so much to me. If you could share this article with your friends on social media, and particularly share it with any artist you know, because this article hits on many of the concepts that I discuss in the Break the Business book. So... If you're kind of wondering where I stand on record deals and you haven't gotten the book yet, and please get the book, by the way. I'd very much appreciate that. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. That's called Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Um, but if you want to kind of get an idea of where I stand on record deals, you can read this article, and it, it gives you a lot of info there. But um, I would very much appreciate you sharing it. This is my first blog on a major entertainment publication and it would just it would just, it'd be cool if this thing made a splash because i think 
it has something important to say, and it discusses an angle of this Kesha Dr. Luke saga that just I don't feel is getting the attention it deserves. And so here's the article, and uh, you can check it out at HypeBot.com as well. Last week, Rolling Stone reported that Kesha had dropped her California lawsuit against her producer, Dr. Luke. The dismissal ended a harrowing 20-month litigation that attracted considerable social media attention and changed the lives of the litigants involved. For now, it seems, Kesha will continue to perform under the production agreement that she sought to terminate due to Luke's alleged physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. It would be foolish to necessarily infer Kesha's actions as an indication that her allegations were false, especially since Kesha continues to pursue her abuse claims in the New York courts. Instead, her decision was likely the product of the legal environment in which she sought vindication and the ruthless industry in which she sought to make a living. Every day Kesha spent slogging through our country's glacier-like civil litigation system was one less day spent furthering her career. Losing two years of her music-making prime in a short-shelf-life business was likely all she could afford. And faced with the Hobson's choice of creating with her enemy and possible abuser, or likely never creating again, she begrudgingly chose creation. For those seeking even the thinnest of silver linings in this painful saga, this case has increased public awareness of the issues of sexual abuse in the music industry and the power imbalances that performers, particularly female performers, endure while pursuing their passion. And it has been an unexpected blessing that this case inspired so many music fans and more than a few music superstars to speak out on social media about these very real problems. There is a lot of discussion to be had about how we can make the music industry a better place for artists. The Kesha Dr. Luke case provides many instructive lessons for that discussion. And for those looking for ways to reduce these instances of abuse, absorbing these lessons is critical. If this case makes you angry as an artist or a music fan, you should consider directing some of that anger toward the instrument that allows much of this abuse to exist in the first place, the exclusive recording agreement. Exclusive recording agreements are a staple of the music industry. They often come in the form of record deals with major labels, though artists can have them with producers as well. The contracts Kesha sought to terminate with Dr. Luke is an example of the latter. I frequently review these agreements for clients in my legal practice, and I have yet to read one that I would advise a client to sign. These deals are filled with plenty of objectionable provisions. The royalty rates are often insultingly low, and the artist almost always has no rights over the music they create. But the biggest problem with them is that their exclusive nature forces the artist to record only with the label-slash-producer. The agreement grinds on for multiple albums, and the label-slash-producer has full authority over when and how each album gets recorded. The artist has no control in the relationship, creating the potential for abuse. And when the artist-label or artist-producer relationship in an exclusive agreement becomes toxic, as it so often does... The artist is forced to remain in that toxic relationship if he or she wishes to continue their recording career. Exclusive agreements compel parties to continue working together long after it is in their best interest to even be in the same room with each other. Even if you do not believe Kesha's allegations, it seems obvious that her relationship with Dr. Luke was an unhealthy one. And in other kinds of business arrangements, the law provides mechanisms for a party to exit the agreement before things become too poisonous. 
For example, if Kesha was Luke's employee, Kesha could quit, or Luke could fire her. If Kesha and Luke were business partners, either person could dissolve the partnership if they could no longer work with the other. And if Kesha and Luke instead had worked under a non-exclusive agreement, she would have been able to work with other producers instead of Luke, just as how Luke was already allowed to work with other artists under their agreement when things started to go sour. But exclusive recording agreements are unique in their troubling lack of an escape valve for when a relationship becomes contentious, exploitative, or even abusive. The music industry has a long way to go before it becomes a safe place for those who work in it. And an important step in the right direction would be for the industry to reject business structures that foster abuse and keep artists trapped in dangerous relationships. The fact that exclusive recording agreements are commonplace in this business makes their existence no less acceptable. Artists should reject these contracts and instead seek business opportunities that allow them to maintain full control over their careers and work with whomever they want. Jack Conte coming up next. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is a musician, filmmaker, and entrepreneur who is one half of the music duo Pomplamoose. He is also the co-founder and CEO of the crowdfunding platform Patreon, which handles over $5 million in funding payouts to its community of creators every month. You can find out more about his projects by visiting Jack, Conte Music, and Pomplamoose on YouTube, or by visiting Patreon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Conte is on the Break the Business Podcast. Jack. Hi, everybody. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. It's really great to be here. Thanks for including me on the show. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, before we get down to business, Jack, I think a little discussion of affairs of the heart might be warranted here. You recently married your Pomplamoose bandmate, the super talented Natalie Dawn. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Um, you got married in May of this year, correct? That's right. Okay, so I feel kind of a kindred spirit with you. Which day did you get married? It was on the 25th. 25th. Oh, I also got married this past May. Uh, I got married on the 7th. So, oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. I actually, So I, I do have a little more experience than you when it comes to marriage. So if you, have, if you need any advice, you just call me. I'll help you right out. <laughs> so, awesome. So how does it feel to be married? Do you feel any different? No, Natalie and I have been together for 10 years. So um, aside from, from having a lump of metal wrapped around my finger, it feels exactly the same. Good. But I should I should say as an aside, are you sick of that question? Because I get that question all the time. And my answer was exactly the same as yours. Um, yeah. Like, am I the thousandth person to ask it? Do I get like a free sub or something? Yeah, everybody asks that question. And, and my answer is is always the, the same thing. I you know, it's it's funny, because 
you know, we've been through so much together, uh, you know, including having a band together and, uh, and, and living together now for six years. And, um, it just, it just honestly feels like, uh, you know, like next, next step. I, I, uh, it feels like, okay, what, what's next? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just another, it's another chapter in our, in our lives, you know? <laughs> that was the proposal. Natalie, will you do the next logical thing on our list with me? <laughs> oh, Jack, <laughs> I'm all Twitter faded. Um, well, I'd love to talk about that journey a little bit with you. Uh, how did you and the missus start making music together? How did Pomplamoose happen? Yeah, so um, I Natalie was opening for a band of mine um, that, that I was in at the time, and I had just... Uh, I was a senior in college and she was a freshman and uh, we were slated to play on the same bill. And I walked in one evening and I saw her playing and she had a, she was playing this beautiful bass and the, the coffee house was kind of smoky and, and uh, she, you know, looked very different than everybody else. Cause you know, she was straight out of straight out of Europe. So she had the Euro trash haircut and she was <laughs> the, the, the European clothes and she just looked she just looked and sounded so different. And, um, and I, you know, it was like one of those Insta, Insta melt, Insta heart dropping through your stomach sort of Aww. things. And, um, uh, and so, so, you know, we, we, I, it's just funny. I, I went up to her after the show. I do not, I never in my life was, was good at, uh, starting conversations with beautiful women. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And for whatever reason, I got up the guts to go say something to Natalie. And and, and what I said was, um, I think I said, uh, you have a beautiful voice. I want to listen to it every day for the rest of my life. And then, I said, and then I said, do you have an album? And she said, no. And I said, do you want one? <laughs> so... That was that was the beginning of our music making together, and we tried making music. I immediately started producing her record, and it failed, and we hated each other and broke up. And then we got back together, and then two years later, we started Pomplamoose. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Jack Conte pitching woo. I like it. <laughs> um, and you know, speaking of Pomplamoose, I like many people love 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 the videos you guys create. The songs are great. the The concepts, the execution, it's it's all marvelous. And I'm glad we have you on because creating these kind of videos is so critical to the success of DIY artists these days. And it can be hard for many artists to figure out how to get started. So when artists come up to you and sort of ask you, you know, say, hey, Jack, I want to make better videos and I need to learn how. Like, I need a good way to learn how. Uh, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, um, I wouldn't start with with video. I would start with um, what it is that you want to do and what you love and what you think you're great at. Um, you know, one thing that I had a lot of support from from my parents, you know, growing up was just just to do whatever I loved, whatever I was passionate about. My parents were just adamant about that with me, and um, and you know, video was that for me, and I, and I loved it. And I think if you if you love something with all your might and all your soul. Um, you spend every second of the day thinking about it and you read about it and you understand and you learn about it. And, uh, and, and it becomes, it becomes an obsession. It becomes something that you get great at. I think there's in order to get great at something, you can either fake it and then get pretty good. And some people end up getting great at it. Or if you know, you can love it. And, and if you love it, and you do it, then the rest kind of follows. So I, I would say take a step back from video and figure out what it is that you really love and, um, and, and start there. 
Well, uh, faking it is an important uh, cornerstone principle of our podcast, so I can certainly yeah. endorse that. Um, you know, we're all about the faking confidence around here, and that answer was about a hundred times better than my question, so I liked it very much. <laughs> no, it's no, it, it's good, and I think it's sort of in the spirit of uh, uh, Patreon to kind of follow whatever that passion is, and to you know embrace it and get uh, and build a community of fans around it. And all right, let's let's talk Turkey. I want to talk a little bit about this awesome platform that you sir have created um you are the co-founder and ceo of patreon we love this platform as do the many artists the many artists we've had on this show who've been able to pursue their passion whatever it is because of it uh can you tell us a bit about how patreon works and how it differs from other crowdfunding sites like kickstarter or pledge music Sure. So um, Patreon is ongoing payments from fans to creators. And it's, I mean, really the main difference between Patreon and Kickstarter is that uh, Patreon is a salary. It's payments every single month from your fans. Um, it's not one lump sum and then you're done and you don't know when you're going to get paid next. Uh, I actually, sorry, I, that sounded like I was talking poorly of Kickstarter and Indiegogo. I love both of those platforms and I I, uh, you know, my, my wife, <laughs> Natalie raised over a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter and it was an incredibly Damn. wonderful thing for her. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're great, great platforms, but they're not quite what I needed as a YouTuber, as a YouTuber, someone who's coming out with things regularly. I didn't want to write a book or make a movie or start a, a theater company or do a big singular project. I wanted to just keep making YouTube videos and I wanted to get a salary for doing that. And so the idea was, okay, fans, will you pay me? five bucks a month so i can keep making videos on patreon um sorry on on youtube and uh and that's that's the main difference is patreon is ongoing payments from from fans to creators um all right so let's 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 get a little futurist here let's take the long view um a complaint i get all the time uh, about the industry is that you know recorded music sales continue to go down musicians are having trouble finding stable income streams the way they used to and with that being said, do you think that recurring crowdfunding platforms like yours that allow for ongoing payments will eventually end up being the principal means by which indie content creators sustain themselves? Or do you see your platform more as just kind of being just a small piece of a larger pie for artists going forward? I think patronage is the future. Um, not only do I think that, I'm betting my life. I'm betting my time i'm betting my hours and my energy and my focus on that <laughs> um i strongly believe that uh that art is best funded through consumer payments um i i believe that for a number of reasons um but i i don't without going into too long of a tangent here i'll, I'll tell you two quick Two quick stories and two ways I, I think about that. The first is, you know, patronage is how every great piece of art that we've ever known or studied or understood has been funded. Literally for thousands of years, art has been created because a rich dude with a bag of coins said, I like the stuff that you make. Here's some money. Go make more. That's how all of the great art that we know from history books and museums has ever been made. And it's only in the last 
hundred years that that's changed. A hundred years ago, we figured out how to capture art, how to, how to capture light on photographic paper, how to capture sound on wax cylinders. And when we figured out how to capture art and put it on a physical thing, we developed billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure in retail and trucking and distribution and brick and mortar companies and rights and all of the things required to take a physical thing from a record studio that produced it and get it to the hands of a consumer that bought it. And then 20 years ago, the web came out and voided a hundred years of infrastructure in one fell swoop. What's going to happen is because, because now distribution is free, because now production is almost free, because replication is infinite and free, the cost of those things is literally going down to zero. And I think that's why artists are complaining, and it's true, that, that music sales are going away. It's because, it's because music sales, there's no scarcity anymore. Things are infinitely replicable online. Um, you don't have to buy a physical thing to get value from it. You can download it. And so it's driving the cost of goods down to literally zero, which is what you're seeing now. You can get any song in the world for free right now yeah. if you want it. Um, okay, so so because of that, I believe we're going back to how things were before a hundred years ago when we figured out how to record light on a on a piece of photographic paper. We're going back to patronage. That's going to continue to be the best way to fund the arts moving forward. And we're going to look back at this weird hundred years where unit sales became the main revenue source for artists as a blip in a, in a long, long, uh, you know, uh, history of patronage. I love it. I kind of want to just uh, chop that up in the editing room and set it to music. <laughs> it's, that was that was uh, I think that's exactly right. And, and yeah, it's cool how, you know, we, you know, art is cyclical and the way we consume art seems to be cyclical. And the more things change, the more things stay the same. We're looking more like the 15th century than we ever have. Yeah. Um, I want to get a couple just Patreon tips from you from straight from the CEO source. Uh, when you look at other people's other creators campaigns on your site, what are some common areas where you think many creators can improve their campaigns? Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest one, uh, the, the biggest little thing for improving your campaign um, is to not be shy about it. Uh, Donald Trump is out there pounding the pavement asking for money. Um, Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, um, I have a friend who uh, is at a university and she does uh, she does research um, uh, brain research of of uh, infants to try and study um, infants brains and, and understand why they do things and how and how they react and what they're thinking and if they're thinking and, and all those things. And she spends her days writing research grants, asking people for money <laughs> Um, SF Jazz is a is a nonprofit. I'm on the board. Um, they just raised uh, over seventy million dollars to build a building downtown um, in San Francisco, and they have an entire team whose job it is to ask people for money. Um, my point is, asking people for money happens in every every aspect of society. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to feel tentative about. It's something that is a common practice 
Um, it's it's a it's a method of of getting paid that's been around for a long, long time and continues to be around. And it's cross-functional. It applies to politics and art and research and academics. And it applies it applies to music and it applies to podcasts and it applies to to content. So um, that would be the main thing is don't uh, don't for some reason feel like, oh, I, I don't want to ask my fans for money because everyone's asking for money. And in the way, it's not even really asking your fans for money because the fans are getting something out of the deal. There, There's a lot of great rewards that come in every campaign. And um, do you have any tips on how to create a good reward structure? Like what, what rewards tend to be good for Patreon that maybe are not good for other cl- crowdfunding platforms? Yeah. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind there. I think um, first, you know, Patreon... The, the, the fans who join Patreon, we call them the fans that matter most. Uh-huh. These are the people who they're, they're the, the five, 10 percent of your fans that are responsible for 90 percent of your revenue. <laughs> These are the people who have been to your shows and been to your concerts and, and bought your tickets and they have your T-shirt and they and they listen to your song while they were having their first kiss. And you mean the world to them. Right. These are the people who whose lives you've changed and and these are the fans that matter most. And so so think about what those people want. And and mostly they want a special window into your life. They want to, you know, they want to know what you're thinking and what you're doing. And they want some extra posts and they they want to feel close to you. I think I think that you know when you're thinking about rewards, I would sort of tend to think of it. Uh, I would use like a closeness framework. How can you help your your patrons feel close to you? Um, and that's things like live streaming, webcasts. It's things like a private email box or you know direct messages or um it's things like you know it could be it could be transactional things like you know the first you get first dibs at tickets when you announce your tour dates or um it could be uh you know you get uh, high quality downloads of of songs or or podcast episodes or or whatever it is um but but we found that kind of the the thing that really that patrons really love is is that special window and 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 getting a little bit more access to you than they would get elsewhere Oh, um, that's great. And Jack, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And let me say this as we wind down, sort of a personal note. I want to thank you for what you've done. As somebody who advises indie artists all the time in my legal practice, I am grateful to you for helping create a platform that not only helps artists get compensated for what they do, but also allows them to pursue success on their own terms. I imagine that must give you a lot of satisfaction. It does. I I really appreciate that. I I have to... um... I have to deflect the the compliment to the team, though. I I uh, I one thing that I've learned because you know I've been an artist for a decade and um, I've never worked with a team and working with the team at Patreon has changed my life. These people here care more about our mission and our company and our creators and our patrons than I ever thought was possible. And they work harder and, 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 you know, and they're more devoted than I, than I could have ever dreamed of. And, um, and yeah, one thing that I've learned is just, uh, teams are superheroes. Teams can do what no individual could ever dream of doing. And, and, uh, and I've really gotten a dose of that here. It's a really incredible experience to feel so small uh, compared to, you know, compared to what, what, a, what a full team of, of devoted and dedicated people can do. So, so thanks. And, and I'll, I'll let the, I'll let the team know. Oh, very good. Yeah. Be sure to extend my gratitude to everybody over there. Uh, Jack, it's been a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. We'll be right back on the break. The business podcast. 
Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our next guest is an independent hip-hop MC from Perth Amboy, New Jersey. He has performed alongside such artists as Ghostface Killa, Snoop Dogg, and Modest Yahoo, and his music has been featured in commercials for Bud Light. His latest album is What I Do All Day in Pickle, and it can be found on iTunes, Amazon, and Spotify. The album made it onto six different Billboard charts earlier this month, despite him having no label or manager. You can find out more about his music by visiting koshadillsworld.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Kosha Dills is on the Break the Business podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Thanks for joining us. Good, 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 man. Can you guys hear me? Oh, I hear you great. Loud and clear. Uh, uh, beautiful. You, uh, are, are you getting ready for a show right now? What's, what's happening in your world right now? You know, it's interesting. I came back to L.A. Uh, a little bit early from the tour with Modesty Iowa 311, and I ran into my buddy, um, and he's like, do you want to support Jizza from Wu-Tang on these two? Uh, he's doing these $5 shows in Orange County in L.A. So last night I played Orange County in Santa Ana, and tonight I'm playing uh, downtown L.A., the Novo, which is like a new one by Golden Voice. Um, they do these $5 shows, and, you know, Golden Voice does all the big festivals, Coachella, Panorama. So great show. Great show to be on. What are those gigs like? I imagine, you know, because, you know, because the, uh, the, you know, the cover charge is so low, you must get like a really just excited, raucous, and big crowd. Yeah. Well, you know, people are just like, it's a thing to do for five bucks in L.A., so you're going to get people that would not normally come out. And then you're also going to get the people that are like, you know, diehard, obviously, Wu-Tang fans, you know, that are going to come out. And um, you're, you're just going to get a lot of, uh, I guess I would say, a lot of foot traffic. And it's a great marketing thing, you know, because you just get this epic show for 5 bucks. I mean, I think everyone should do shows for $5, you know, no matter how big they get. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> it's, it's, so cool. it's, 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 it's damn near impossible to find anything in L.A. that costs $5, <laughs> so... Um, I yeah. think that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah man. That's the whole point. Uh, I'm excited to have you on this show. I really enjoyed your article in Hypebot entitled, Kosha Dills Hits Six Billboard Charts, 100% Indie, 100% DIY. My friend, that headline is what this podcast is all about. Uh, you got all over the Billboard charts at the start of this month, and you did it without any label backing. You did it without any formal management. How did it feel when you first looked at Billboard and saw your name on those charts? What was your initial reaction? I was stoked, and then, you know, and then I'm like, damn it, I want to be higher than that guy. And that's kind of like that insatiable quest, Oh man, so- uh, which is kind of fun. And I'm like, why is that? You know, I'm like, if only this one show went different or, you know, this one, this something didn't go right, I would have been higher, you oh. know? And um, and it's, there's so much preparation to it. And, and like I set out with the goal to, like, at least hit one of them. And, you know, I hit a bunch of them. I didn't even know that many existed. I didn't. I was kind of surprised. Um, but it's cool, you know. I'm, I'm excited, and I'm happy other people are excited for me. So, so that's nice. What a true hustler you are. The, your period of celebration lasted all of three seconds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but man. you know what? When I got the magazine, and it was in the actual hard copy magazine, you know, there, there's actually, like, this billboard, like, 
vault where they hold all the magazines from like the early ages of Billboard. And I sort of go down in history and no one could ever take that away from me, you know, and that's it. And it says what I do all day in pickle, oise, kosher dills, and it's in the hard copy. And that to me is dope, you know, hard because I love hard copy press way oh, better than the Internet. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I can remember a time in high school where that was the mag. You know, I read the Billboard magazine. Now, and now I don't even have the subscription to it anymore because it all comes to me digitally. But no, that that's pretty cool. I can't discount that. Uh, and this is a big time for you, man. And but it wouldn't be fair to focus on this moment without taking a bit of time to talk about the hard work you put in to get you there. Can you quickly walk people through some of the highlights that got you from where you started to where you are today? Cool. Um... My first breakthrough song, I think, was in 06, about 10 years ago, with Modest Yahoo and C. Ray's Walls. So Modest Yahoo was, like, at the height of his thing, of his career. And his favorite rapper was C. Ray's Walls, who I was touring with at the time. And this guy who taught me how to freestyle and really perform live shows. Um, I had this album called Freestyle vs. Written with C. Ray's that had been magazine. And the hard copy was, like, my first album. So I kind of came out swinging. We had a you know, uh, great distro. Um and, uh, you know, the album is still being talked about today all around the world when I travel. Oh, um, nine, I did a tour with Modest and I, I got accepted to South by Southwest. I started doing South by Southwest in 2008 um, with C-Rays and then came back and have been official every year um, except oh, nine. And then, um, sheesh, like in 2010, I did my first European tour and I got to do one with Snoop Dogg. Um, and I also, you know, was entering rap battles at the time and won this huge contest that had me as a playable character in NBA 2K. I heard about uh, I tried that. to get That's a song cool. there, and they ended, up, they ended up making me a character. I didn't get the song. I don't think anyone remembered the, the guy who made this song, but I became a playable character with, uh, you know, Drake, uh, Snoop, Sean Price, rest in peace to Sean Price. Like, you know, really, Eshton Stone in the video game, and people were coming to see me play because... They knew me from the video game. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, like, I mean there's like a lot of video game fanatics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, forget so getting a song in there. You goes. got to dunk on LeBron James. That's that's all you need. Yeah. And you know what? I made myself like the worst character. <laughs> I gave myself like the only attributes of like the I asked for the attributes of like the two Jewish players in the league. And it was like, there's only these guys. And they're like, they got their stats aren't so good. And I'm like, no, I, there's a point. <laughs> and you know, people were like, "Oh man, you you so you know." Like I know people that were like, "We want to be like LeBron," and they made themselves taller. Uh, hey, that's <laughs> and I'm like, dude. It's a video game. Just be yourself. You know, I was like a short five eight. That's like, actually the with, like thinning hair. <laughs> nice, you know, funny. That's actually the way to go. I've always said the best job in the NBA is like the twelfth man who never has to play, never has to take off the sweatsuit, and just high fives dudes the whole time when they come out of timeouts. Like you had it perfect. Yeah, man, you're doing a good job. <laughs> like you were dabbing so, people. You know, and <laughs> I I worked with a guy named Jesse Shack and uh, who was you know we know him as Belief and. um and Jesse has gone on to do, like, such amazing things. I mean, he produced Sia Chandelier. Um, he's done, you know, just fits in the tantrums. He does, like, really massive arts. But he was, you know, getting his chops with rappers. And uh, I was, like, ahead of the game with sample-free stuff. And he was doing licensing. And I'm like, I want in, you know. Um, and I was making money, like, rapping at synagogues and stuff and getting these gigs. 
And, you know, I hired Jesse to do this album. And then I rec- started recording all my music with him. And we ended up getting a Super Bowl commercial in 2012. And that was sort of like a big breakthrough for me because I really, I really made, I made money for like the first time ever. So that was like a big dent in, in what anyone knew that we could actually do, you know, to make a check like that was just like, wow, you know? You, being like a broke independent artist. <laughs> well, you got a lot of cool so, achievements on your resume. And, you know, speaking of this idea of being an independent artist, you know, you've made you made a bit of an impact in the hip hop genre. And I'm sure you've had some opportunities along the way where you've gotten some attention from record companies and maybe even, you know, considered signing a record deal. What's driven you to stay independent? Well, that's funny. You know what? Um I don't really think I've ever been given an opportunity to sign a record deal. Um, a lot of people couldn't put it together why no one's offered me one. They were always like, why doesn't no one offer you anything? And I don't think I've really cared to pitch myself to anyone else. I never had anyone to do it. I come from a school of, you know, make the music, press it up yourself, book the tour, sell it yourself, repeat, get press yourself, hire some friends. They help get pressed. And then we started doing it better than everybody else, you know? And then, so we're like, why would I call somebody up so you could take 50% of something that, and I had the money to do it. I made the money. The, you know, artists were getting advances of maybe like, I heard artists getting advances of like 50 grand. And I'm like, well, I'm putting in 15 to 20 of my own money to a record and I'm going to get it back because I know my touring regiment and stuff. So it's like, who cares? Why would I give them money for them to take ownership and half of everything I get? And I think I make great songs, you know, so I got good hooks. And that's why we got the Super Bowl commercial because so, it was like a good song. Like this wasn't stuff that I never made anything for the TV. And you're like, you know, even though I could, I thought to myself, you know, maybe we'll get something. But um, even Jesse shopped it and he, you know, while he got bigger and I don't know, people didn't bite, but um well, I I never I never had this issue, you know. Like yeah. I never had an issue of like, oh. But now it's actually people are. It's the, as the game is changing, I think people are getting more interested now. Well, it's almost a blessing in disguise because you know, again, as, as you noted, you're already doing the stuff that those groups would do, and you're doing them really well, and you're getting you know to keep more of the pie, and you actually get to own your recordings, and that's really cool. Uh, listeners, if you want to find out more about how Kosha was able to get himself a Billboard charting album as an indie, completely DIY artist, definitely go check out his article at HypeBot.com. Uh, Kosha, I want to walk you through some of the parts of that article that I really found intriguing. In the article, you talk about how you decided to distribute your album, not with one of the more prominent indie distributors like Orchard, but you instead went with a little boutique distributor. Uh, what made you want to do that, and would you recommend that route for other DIY artists? Yeah, I think, like, if you could get down with a, uh, a boutique people. Now, like, there's a list, right, that they submit, and then there's all these hot lists on iTunes, and everything is like a piece of content, you know? So you have your, you know, like, right now, we're going to take this thing and this snippet, and I'm going to share the whole podcast, and then maybe we'll... Maybe you'll have a highlight reel, and then you'll have that, and then more people listen, and there will be another piece of content. And, you know, I got um, the cover of iTunes with my album cover, um, and that was because I was on a boutique. And I, was, I wouldn't even be pitched to that 
But the guy was really pumped on working with me and knew my tour schedule, and I've known him for a long time. He's with this thing called Soul Spasm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not like they'll take anyone, but they work with a lot of people they know. And then there's other people that are, like, way bigger. But because they have huger artists that are doing bigger sales, and they're, and they're getting turned down for the front cover of iTunes, they can't pitch me because I'm not even going to make them that much money. You know what I mean? So reality is you have to – but it, you just because of the money that's being earned, you don't need to – it doesn't mean that me and you can't know the same guy, you know? And there, there, is, there needs, there's space for everybody, and it's a cool album for people that go to cover of iTunes. There was Kids Bop. There was the Kosher Dills, What I Do All Day in Pickle. And it's my album cover, if you're listening. It's, it's a pickle that's like on a spoof of Andy Warhol's banana from uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. And I literally think that, like, there was, a, there was just a number of things. I got the cover of Hip Hop, and it, I think I'm still there, actually. And you can't get that being on a big one. They're just going to distribute you, and you're going to feel big, and you could tell somebody, like, hey, I'm with this big company, but it's, you know... That don't mean nothing, you know, and unfortunately it doesn't. So there's, if oh, someone buys it from the orchard, it's the same money. It's the same money you're going to get um, or stream it, but, like, you'll get lost in the shuffle unless you have someone who's really passionate about you. Plus you get all that free consulting. That will cost you way more money than you think it would. You know, the guy's taking time to talk to you on the phone, and so I was really, really fortunate. So there's something to be said for going with a smaller distributor that – you know, if they're really hungry and they're willing to give you that individualized attention because they really believe in your project, uh, you can do a lot with that, it sounds like. Yeah, man. Um, you can so, do a lot with it. Yeah, man. Uh, another thing you talked about in the article is how you, and I thought this was kind of cool, you were able to increase your album sales by selling your album as a bundle with other merchandise. Like uh, you'd bundle it with tickets to your CD release show or you'd bundle it with T-shirts. How much did that strategy pay off for you? It was huge. I mean, you could learn how to do it. Um, I mean, I bundled it up with old CD sales. Anything was like, just get the new music, you know? And even last night, like, at the Jizza show, um, when I sold the vinyl, there was a lot of people that love, you know, hip-hop heads who love vinyl. Um, they have huge vinyl collections. And I'm selling them a vinyl from 2013, and it's coming with the new, new project. And they're... Uh, the project was awkward in a good way, which was done by Jesse Shackin and, and Belief, the guy who did the Super Bowl commercial. And, you know, now they're getting the new album. Um, everyone's going to get the new music, and that counts as a sound scan for the new one, you know. So you could do price packaging, and if it's digital, you know, you might as well just get it to them because people don't care. So it's like they want to get what they want, but they'd be glad to have the other stuff. So a T-shirt comes with the digital download a ticket comes with a download a poster comes with a download an old cd comes with the new cd um and it makes it you know more incentives for people yeah. that's a nifty piece of sound scan hacking i like that uh, the last piece of advice in your article was particularly cool to me uh you end it by saying make sure to ask for the sale uh in the article you say and i quote leave no stone unturned when selling your music what did you mean by that what I say, leave no stone unturned. I must have been in there. I was like, yeah. That's your article, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Leave, leave, leave no stone unturned. The end of the show is happening, or you're on Facebook, and you're talking to some girl that, like, you're not going to end up dating, and you're, like, wasting your day, you're doing all these things. <laughs> and here you are, and you could be selling 
you could be pushing your music, which you're supposed to be doing, except you're being lazy. And now you could like, you know, at the end of the show, you could be like, hey, man, uh, everyone's like, oh, great show. Dude, it'd be awesome if you get my record, you know, not for nothing. But like, if you don't get the record, I'll die and wither away into flames. But, you know, who cares? Right. You know, now you make a joke or whatever. And the guy gets your record, make him feel comfortable. Or they don't want it, and that's okay, too, when you get their email and you build up the long thing. But the reality is, like, you have to cater to the people who like your music and not not worry about what everyone else is doing, you know? You said in the article um, you sent 5,000 text messages when your album came out? Well, you know, I think, I think like, if you sell 5,000 records... Um, no, I have not. Let me get, let me make this clear. I have not sent five thousand text messages, although I could. <laughs> <laughs> and people be like, "You could do it, man. You could do the group text, and everyone get mad at you." But like, what is what's the phone for? Are you gonna just have these numbers? I realize I have four. I have about five thousand numbers in my phone, yet I don't seem to take advantage of all of them. And you need to contact these people and be like hey man have your number in here for six years i just don't remember and and chances are they remember you but usually me i don't i don't remember and that's because i just meet so many people but in the end of the day like i want them to know that uh i got a new record out and that's my job as someone who's a label manager artist of my own career it's my job to let you know i got a record i want you to have the record whether you could buy it or not so I'm going to give it to you. Maybe they want to buy it. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're in industry. Maybe they could help me. Maybe they could just share it with all their friends. And that's it. Like, it's not – I don't control the sales numbers, but I do control how many people I tell. So, like, I want to be in the driver's seat if I can be and let people know, you know. When I am in control of my sales, I'm performing. It's like an instant instant thing um, where I'm, like, av- available to sell it right there. And people feel it. But, like, if you're not doing a tour and you got 5,000 numbers or and you got all those emails, um, you got to send it. And just like I was telling you before, I'm like, call me back in five minutes. I'm sending out an email because tonight I'm doing a show with Jizza in L.A. And whether people could come or not, they're not in L.A. It's pretty epic to do a show with a Wu-Tang member in Los Angeles because you never know who shows up. And, you know, also tomorrow's Modest Yahoo's big show at the Palladium in Hollywood with 311. And they're flying in a guy from Hawaii. And, you know, I just need to get all that information out. And, and plus, I always link my album because my album's out. So whether a soft push or a big push, I always got to push. Oh, um, well, I, I must say it's a privilege to be on to, for this podcast to play even a small role in helping get you out there. Uh, uh, how can people find you on social media and on the web if they want to get to know you better? Um. Kosha Dills, K-O-S-H-A-D-I-L-L-Z. Um, I would say if you want to look something up on the Internet, I've been shooting a film <laughs> documenting my hustle for five years. And the trailer, which came out in about four to five years ago, is called uh, Kosha Dills is Everywhere, The Hustle, The Happiness. And I'm proud to say that I spent a lot of money on this film, and we are finishing it up hopefully by the winter. So I could turn it on. So you could watch a trailer and you could kind of see me in action and wonder how I look like, although I've lost a lot of weight since then and look a lot healthier. <laughs> and of course, I got tons of articles on, I got tons of articles on HypeBot. And uh, you could look at it. I mean, yeah, I got a lot of stuff out there. And of course, you know, 
You could just probably email me, you know, or, and find a way to contact me. Oh, well, there you go. Through the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the it, Book of Faces. It's been a treat, Kosha. Uh, before we let you go, and believe me, we definitely don't want to, uh, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, don't rush things. Make sure you prepare and take enough time to get the results that you want. And a big thing for me, which was a huge step, was that my release date was originally going to be May 26th. And then I pushed it back to July 8th. And then I pushed it back to July 15th because I set it up in conjunction and had everything I wanted at that moment with a tour with Modest Yahoo. I'm really grateful for because on that tour really helped me perform in front of numbers because we were performing in front of 4,000 people every night. But you don't need 4,000 people. You just need a tour, and that can help you with your, uh, with your numbers on release week. And, um, but the thing is, you know, as an artist, you have to have humility and say, you know what, I'm not ready, and say, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. But we all want to get it out, but we can't spend thousands of dollars on a product and then rush it out. You know, so if you're going to do something, you should do it right. The album and that's is, only oh. coming from that's only coming from an experience of doing it wrong so many times. So. <laughs> well, um, you know, that, uh, failure is often the best teacher. Uh, the album is "What yeah. I Do All Day in Pickle." You can find him at koshadills.com. Kosha, thank you for being on with us. Yeah, koshadillsworld.com. Kosha Dills on Twitter and Instagram. Real Kosha on Snapchat. If you want to have a conversation, it's Real Kosha. And uh, yeah, man, the business. I love it. Break the business. Oh, nice, nice plug. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our thanks to Kosha Dills and Jack Conte for joining us this week. Both amazing interviews. Check out what they're doing at Kosha Dills World, K-O-S-H-A-D-I-L-L-Z world.com and patreon.com for Jack Conte stuff. Check out my article in HypeBot about Kesha Dr. Luke. Go to HypeBot.com for that. Thank you to both of our interviewees and thank all of you for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 